a series looking at Psalms at the moment. We're looking at authentic humanity and what can we learn from the Psalms. So this week we're going to be in Psalm 73. Um, if you've got your Bibles, do you want to grab them, open them up? Psalm 73. Um, this is one of my favourite Psalms, actually. It's quite a long one, um, so we're going to kind of break it up and go through it in chunks. Um, essentially, let me, spoiler alert, let me just give you the kind of where we're going, what this Psalm is all about. The, the guy's writing it, Asaph, um, is essentially talking about a faith crisis, pretty much, that he had. Um, to very ex- extents, I expect probably that is an experience common to most of us, having areas where like, you know, our faith doesn't feel super strong. Maybe times when we feel like we're, we're really shaky. Um, and so we want to look at what does that look like? How are some of the ways that we slip? So the language um, that Asaph uses is, he says, you know, my, I'd almost lost my footing, I'd almost slipped. Um, so what are some of the things that can help um, not lose our footing? What are some of the ways that sometimes we do actually end up sliding? Um, and how can, we, how can we come back? How can we come back and have our feet firmly planted on the Lord and faith in him? That's kind of where, that's kind of where we're going. All right, so like I said, we're going to look at it in sections um, and unpack that. So I'm going to pray, um, and then we'll dive in at verse 1. Father, I want to thank you um, that you're with us and that you absolutely are for us. God, you love us, um, and despite our, uh, our weakness, our frailty, our difficulties, God, you remain constant, and you're constantly reaching out towards us. Thank you, God, that you are the great initiator. You always move first to say that I love you, I'm for you, I'm with you. Um, and God, so we want to respond to that this morning and draw near to you. So Holy Spirit, come and open up your word. Um, give us open ears and eyes and a soft heart. Um, would you challenge us, change us, make us more like your beautiful son, Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Alrighty, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten opposition, oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? All right, let's pause there. So he starts off well, and although it feels a little bit like a... Token gesture, verse 1, starts all right. Surely God is good. He's good to those whose hearts are pure. So he makes that kind of statement, but then makes it very clear that's not really where he finds himself. Um, He had nearly slipped, to the point he nearly lost his footing is what he says. And then those verses we've just read, 2 to 12, are pretty much explaining how this slide has begun, how how has he lost his footing? Like what's happened? Why has that been? And essentially it can be summed up, like this, he was looking around at his life and the lives of people who don't know God, don't acknowledge God, are not trying to live according to God's standard and, and seeing they're not trying to do what God wants and yet their life seems all right. Things are not going badly for them. In fact, things seem to be going swimmingly for them. And then I'm looking at my life and it's not so good. Um, so he looks at this, people who don't acknowledge God with that arrogance of what well, God doesn't even know, does it, you know, do what I like. And seemingly on the surface, Asaph is saying, you know, actually, these people are living very well, thank you, without acknowledging and submitting to God. And he sums it up, um, verse 12 and 13, this pretty much sums up where he finds himself. This is what the wicked are like. Always free from care, they go on amassing wealth. 
Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Right? That's where he finds himself. Not in a happy place. Pretty much, it's not fair, poor me, essentially. But in an understandable way, like looking at the world around him and saying, I can't reconcile this. You know, looking at people doing their own thing and life seems fine with them. And essentially saying there is no point. Like, what is the point in me trying to keep my heart pure and wash my hands in innocence? I'm trying to do the right thing, but what is the point? Essentially, that's where he's landed. Is there any point following God? Really is where he finds himself. Um, and I don't know if you've ever ended up there. Maybe you have. Maybe you find yourself there this morning. Um, and that, you know, doubt and disappointment, it brings you to that point. It's like, what, what is the point? Like, where are you, God? Are you even real? Those kind of big crisis of faith type questions. Probably all of us have, have walked through some of those to a certain extent. And that's where he found himself. And I, I think it, it's good for us to acknowledge that might not be exactly where we find ourselves. And it might not be the reason for the slide for him was looking at people who are not acknowledging God and life seems fine. Like it was a real stumbling block for him. He couldn't reconcile that. Listen, that might not be the specific thing that causes your slide or mine, but acknowledging times when we nearly slip, when, when we start to lose our footing, I think is, is really wise. Pretending we, we don't find ourselves there doesn't help anybody. And, and so if the Psalms tell us anything, they tell us a lot, but you know, I think what the Psalms tell us most of all is that God is faithful and constant and worthy of all our praise forever. And yet it is okay to be humans with need and process and difficulty and struggle. Those two things can be held together. Um, acknowledging moments, um, and this, listen, I think we need to acknowledge moments where we feel like actually our faith isn't super strong. Even moments of crisis where like Asaph found himself, I had, I'd literally nearly lost my footing and fallen off. Acknowledging moments where, hey, do you know what? That's where I find myself. But that is not the same. And nothing I'm saying this morning am I saying, let's give ourselves an excuse to stay there. And oh, well. Like, that's not it. The key is recognizing what might cause us or is or has caused us to slide, to lose our footing. So how can I avoid that? And also, if I am in a slide, how, how can I come back? How can I get back to that place where my feet are firmly planted in faith? So... What starts the slide? That's essentially what he looks at, verses 2 to 12. The message translation is great. It says it in verse 2. It says, but I nearly missed it. I missed seeing his goodness. I was looking the other way. Right? That is going to cause us to trip up. I was looking the other way. I wasn't looking at, I missed seeing his goodness because I was looking somewhere else. So he'd, he'd forgotten. He'd, he'd missed that connection to God is good to those whose heart is pure. Not just good as a you know, God's goodness isn't a philosophical, abstract kind of concept out there somehow. Like God's goodness is, he's good to us. He's not just good, he's good to people whose hearts are pure. Actually, his goodness is towards us. That's why David says in Psalm 27, I'm confident I'll see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Actually, there's real tangible points where we know his goodness, but he'd miss that connection. You know, God is good to, the heart, to those whose heart is pure, but what is the point being in the pure in heart? And you're like, I want to try and help him. Hey, hang on a minute. Connect those two dots. If God is good and he's good to those who are pure in heart, that, that's why it's worth being the pure in heart. But he'd, he'd missed that correct connection because he was looking the other way by his own admission. And so he's doing things like comparison, right? He's looking at, here's my life, trying to do the right thing, trying to follow God, and I'm struggling. I'm ill, I'm sick, I'm, there's difficulty, affliction, 
I'm over here. Over here, people who are like, God doesn't even know I can do what I like. And seemingly their life is going very well, thank you. So he's comparing the two. Comparison rarely does any of us any favours, but the added weight for Asaph here is that I'm trying to do the right thing and still I'm struggling. And that comparison, it led him to envy. Like, you know, I was envious of their wealth. Um, and so I think a lot of where he was stuck and a lot of what can cause us to slide is if we have a material view of life. Now, I don't mean just materialism as in I'm greedy for stuff. That's part of it. Um, but I think it's that if we are more concerned and more focused on the material, temporal, immediate situations of our life rather than awareness of the eternal spiritual nature of our lives, which actually is the most important thing, then it's easy for us to slide. So if we are more concerned with that and, and more focused on what is, what is happening immediately in front of me, like looking at my feet, um, rather than the big picture, the eternal purpose and the reality of Listen, my spiritual condition is way more important than my material position, whether that's health, relationship, finances, whatever that is. My spiritual condition and yours is more important. That's why Jesus said when the disciples come back to him, like really excited about stuff they've seen, he said, listen, rejoice because your name is written in the book of life. That's where you start from. So because he'd missed that, then comparing the material and immediate and apparent situations of people's life in the here and now was just leading him nowhere. So those things were causing him to look the other way, away from God is good to those whose heart is pure. So when we start looking the way, whether, whether that's the particular thing that maybe draws our focus, but if we start looking the other way, if we forget or we doubt God's goodness and that it's for us, that it's towards us, it's super easy to slide and to start to lose our footing. And then this comes into verse 15 which I think is super interesting. He says, if I'd have spoken out like that, so essentially, if I'd have said all of those verses 2 to 12, if I'd have spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. So, on first reading, that verse could be sort of, we could hear that as, you know, if you're having struggles with doubt, disappointment, disillusionment, struggling, don't tell anyone. Don't express it, push it all really deep down and do not admit to that, bottle it up and don't admit that thing to anyone. Because if we'd have spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. You could read it like that. I genuinely, I don't think, I don't think that's what it's saying. Um, I, I don't think, and I think if you read, you know, whenever there's, you know, you've got to read a verse in the context of the whole of the Bible, right? What does the Bible tell us about struggle and what we do with that? Listen, so much of the rest of the Psalms gives us, I think, absolute permission to Hey, be real. Express where you're at. Good, bad, and all the stuff in between. Right? It's not wrong to have questions. Those are big questions. You know, why do why do bad things happen to good people? Why does a good God allow suffering? Like they are big questions. Um, I think it's okay to have those things. Um, to struggle and to have things which we're like, I'm trying to process this stuff. I think that's okay and I think that's healthy. Um, let me give you just some examples from the rest of the Psalms. Um, I'll just pull these out. This is just a few. There is an awful lot more than this, where the psalmists say things like this. Why do you hide in times of trouble? He's all talking to God, by the way. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? Why do you withdraw your hand? How long, God, will you forget me forever? Right? These psalmists are not dressing it up and... and, and suppressing where they're feeling they're expressing it so I think those questions absolutely can be part of our process and I'm absolutely convinced we can always be entirely 
real with God. I don't think God's self-confidence is rocked if I have moments of doubt. I think he's big enough to be okay with that. So I think, but while I'm saying that, is what I do think this verse 15 is saying, listen, while that is maybe part of your process, what they can't be is a position you take up. Let me explain what I mean by that. So having a moment where I'm like, God, I'm, I'm confused, I'm disappointed, I don't understand why, why I'm still sick and I've been praying. I don't understand that. Like That can absolutely be part of your process, and it's a valid question. But what we can't do is take up a position of God doesn't heal and he's not with me. And when we start saying those kind of things, if we speak out like that, I think that's what it means in verse 15 by, listen, that helps no one. So I think we're okay to process it. I think we're absolutely okay between, to be real before the Lord. And I definitely think that it's really good to have trusted people we can process that with. But I do think we need to have wisdom in terms of how and who and where we do process those things with right? If I, you know, going to someone who I'm like, do you know what, this is probably going to really squash their faith if I come and say this. Is this going to be helpful or discouraging to them? Is, you know, is that the person I should process that with? Okay, so be real before God, absolutely. Have trusted people you can process it with, but be wise and considerate about who you process that with. Because, shock horror, it's not actually all about you. So do consider the person. So does that make sense? Be careful. Who are we pouring it out to? Are they going to? You know, is that going to be? Is that actually good for them and for us? So we can process with God and trusted others, but we have to find a way to land again on choosing to declare, "God, you're good. You're sovereign." We talked about that last week. You're sovereign and you're good. I'm confused. I'm disappointed. I'm struggling, but I'm coming back over and saying, "But God, I choose to trust you." There's a real value and power on our choice. And I think sometimes we belittle that in our kind of journey of faith. We think that feels really, it feels really insignificant. I don't, I don't think it is. A few, about eight, eight or so years ago, I kind of learned this in a, in a really, in a, in a way that's really marked me. So our older sister, Jo, had had a you know, long and really painful journey with infertility. And if you've, if you've walked through that or you've walked with someone through that, you'll know it's painful. It's really difficult. And so we'd, We'd been walking that journey a while and been, you know, praying and fasting and believing, God, you want to bless them with children? And, and then she became pregnant. And, but then at 11 weeks, she miscarried, lost this baby, this so longed for, so prayed for, so believed for. And then at 11 weeks, they were away in France. She had to go off on her own to a French hospital and lose this baby. And I remember my dad phoning me in floods of tears. And I, and I, my dad is of the generation who doesn't really cry. Um, I was utterly shattered by it. You know, so so brokenhearted, so confused, so angry. Like, God, where are you? Why on earth would you let that happen? You know, just so many questions. Um, and so that was midweek, and, uh, and I was supposed to be preaching on Sunday. We were actually doing a series on the Psalms again. Um, and I remember saying to Phil, I'm, I'd, I'd prepared my notes, um, but I had had this phone call from my dad, and I was like, I just I said to Phil, there's no, there's no way I can stand and say anything on Sunday. So I was like, there's my notes, do what you want with them. Um, and I remember for weeks, probably months, coming to church with nothing. You know, if you talk about actually, you know, coming in a position of faith, like are my feet were absolutely all over the place. And I, I've learned, I've, I think retrospectively, I've looked over that painful period of time and, and recognized this. Listen, we are called in the Old Testament, and it's repeated in the New Testament, we're called to the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, right? And our soul is our mind, our will, 
and our emotions, right? So God made all of those parts of us. He loves all those parts of us. And we get the delight to love him with all those parts of us, right? And this is the thing I realized, you know, for those months coming to, okay, I need to love God with all my heart. I'm like, I'm utterly brokenhearted and I just don't know how I recover from this with all my mind. But I'm like, God, I'm so confused. I just don't understand. You know, I'm like, I... I, you know, you're a good, powerful God. You, this didn't have to happen. And then I did the comparison thing. You know, I, I was like, I, you know, I was looking at God, there's people, that person got pregnant and you knew they would go on and have an abortion. Like, why do you let children be born into that situation where they're not loved and nurtured? And yet, why wouldn't you bless Joan? Like, that whole, like, hard questions, which I still don't have any answers for. But I, I was coming like, I can't love you with my mind because I'm just so confused. You know, with all our soul, our spirit, I'm like, I need to come in faith and love God. I'm like, I literally, my, my bank account of faith is like, I'm in the red. I don't, like, I don't even know if you're real. And listen, that is a, that's a difficult place to find yourself when you're leading a church. I was like, but I was like, I've, I've got nothing. And I realized, I came to this point where I was like, listen, I'm supposed to love you, heart, mind, soul, strength. The only thing I've got in my soul is my will, right? You and I have been given a will that God loves and values, all I could find to muster up was, God, I'll choose to say you're God and I trust you. I'm not even convinced I believe that. I don't even like you. Like, I'm so angry. I'm so disappointed. But I'll choose. And week after week, that's, that's all I had. So aware, this is, this is a really poor offering. This feels so inadequate, what I'm bringing. I'm supposed to be leading a church. All I've got is, I'll just say I trust you. That's, that's all I had. But in those moments, honestly, I felt God's affection and affirmation for what I was bringing, although I was so aware how inadequate it was. But I felt like his smile, like I've genuinely I've never felt before. I was like, but this is the thing, that's the widow's might, right? When all we've got is so paltry, it's so small, but when we bring that, it pleases God. So listen, you might find yourself this morning where you're like, I am so confused, disappointed, heartbroken, in pain and struggle. All I can do is say, okay, God, I'll choose you again. I think he gives that the biggest smile. You can. There's a real power and a significance in our process to land again in, God, I'll choose to trust you. But listen, we don't stay there. Eight years down the line, there's still points where it, I still don't understand it all. It's still painful, but, you know, rejoice in our nephew who's been adopted. Like, like there's so much of God's goodness, we've seen it. So I don't stay there. Like, it, it isn't that all I've got is I choose. But for a period of time, it was, and I think that's okay. So... Like, what do we do if we have or are slipping, if we feel like we're losing our footing? How do we get out? And this, this psalm completely turns around um, at verse 16. So let's go back in from there. It says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Everything changed then in a moment. And the second half of the psalm is completely different. When I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground and you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. So it, it changes. It comes into his presence and it's like the, the fog lifts and all of a sudden he sees again. Everything changes when we come into the presence of God. Like everything. And these big questions that Asaph was grappling with, the big things that maybe you're grappling with, like they're not insignificant, but listen, 
trying to process them and land them and walk on in faith outside of the presence of God is not going to work out. Like, if I can encourage you anything this morning, is don't ignore your questions, don't feel despised because of your struggles, but don't try and figure those things out outside of your connection with God and being found by him in his presence. This is what he's saying. When I tried to figure it out, it was troubling to me, but then I came into the sanctuary and everything's different. And he sees the big picture. Actually, he moves from looking at just the temporal material here and now reality of his life and other people's life who weren't following God, but he sees the eternal picture, the big picture, which we need to not lose sight of, right? Part of God's absolute goodness is actually that he is just, and so the reality of eternity with God or eternity separated from God, like, like that is a reality. And so that, like he has this complete perspective change when he comes into the presence of God. This is why Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is temporary, uh, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Asaph could have done with 2 Corinthians back when he was writing Psalms, right? That's the change. That's what makes a difference. And, and initially you could think verse 17, gosh, that is, sounds really demeaning. Our light and momentary troubles. It's not like I'm grieving, I'm bereaved, I've had a relationship breakdown, I'm struggling with debt. Like it's not to minimize those things, but, it, but what Paul is saying is, listen, these light and momentary troubles in the big picture, in the scheme of all eternity, they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what he's saying is, listen, in your troubles, listen, it's going to be worth it. Just look up again, remind yourself of the eternal glory. It's going to be worth it. Where Asaph was totally stuck in, what is the point? What's the point? He comes into the sanctuary, into God's presence, and he realizes again, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. I love that. But when our eyes are fixed on me, on here and now, on the immediate it's so easy to slide. It's so easy to lose our footing. You know, when we put greater value on or greater, uh, yeah, we measure success by what the world says. When we put greater value on those temporal things than this spiritual, we'll slide. But we come into God's presence and the fog lifts and we can have that perspective, that perspective shift that we need, which is actually, it's going to be worth it. God's still good. It's going to be worth it. And that doesn't require us to pretend we're not struggling, but it is going to be worth it. I want to share with you um, Jack's testimony, um, which if you've been on the Vine Life community page, he wrote a couple of weeks ago. It's just beautiful. Um, so I, I'm going to read from, his, from the, the words he wrote. But essentially, he said he came to church actually with some just hard stuff in life, like difficult situations in work, life, family. And, and by his, you know, his words saying, I, came, I became just slightly slip out of faith, beginning to slide. And he said, I came to church on Sunday morning, with no expectation at all. But then he responded to a prophetic word that we brought at the end of worship, and, um, and God reminded him of um, Mephibosheth, who's a character in the Old Testament. I'm not going to have time to tell you the story, but go and have a look. Um, and then this is what, this is Jack's words. And God spoke to me. You see, Jack, David invited Mephibosheth to his palace and gave him back his lands, and beyond that he restored his authority, giving him a position of a palace member, a family member, gave him dignity, importance, and protection. It, was, it all happened because of his father, Jonathan. It was nothing to do with Mephibosheth, not with his talents or lack of talents or even his disability, all because of the covenant of David and Jonathan. And now, Jack, 
I give you my covenant. It's no matter to me your crippled life. I invite you to my palace to spend a dinner with me. Every day you're invited and welcomed. A dinner with the king of kings, the most powerful person in the world, and the world is, is to come. Just be with me. I burst into tears that God speaks to me with such encouraging words. It was dark as worship was still on the move, so no one could see those childish tears. And when I'm writing these words, I still feel the tears, but not out of self-pity, but out of his love that I felt in this morning. And I still feel it. God is good. My problems aren't solved, but I will deal with them during dinners in the palace with the Almighty. That is a beautiful testimony, right? That's Psalm 73. Jack coming to church with struggles, not and not without any, with not really any expectation, but coming into his presence, it changes everything. And listen, there is something that God did for Jack that I couldn't preach him into, teach him into, persuade him of. He couldn't convince himself. Of, and I think sometimes we feel like we have to somehow drum up this faith in us, whereas actually the invitation is come into his presence, lift your eyes up and look at him again, and it changes everything. A moment with him shifts everything. And that's God's heart. That's his response. Let's finish up this psalm. When my heart was grieved, when my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far away from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It ends completely differently, right? It started off by saying, well, as for me, I'd nearly lost my footing. But then I came into the sanctuary, and now he's saying, as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made him my refuge. Earth has nothing that I desire. Like, it's completely, completely different. Through all of his questions, this is what I love. You know, he said, I'm being senseless, senseless and ignorant, like bitter before God. And yet, God doesn't change. God's faithfulness is not in response to your faith, right? God is just faithful. And we respond to his faithfulness with faith. But I love this. The Passion Translation, a slightly different way of um, translating verse 23, says, yeah, in spite of all this, in spite of all my confusion, my struggle, my self-pity, my bitterness, in spite of all that, you comfort me by your counsel and you draw me closer to you. You lead me with your secret wisdom and following you brings me into your brightness and glory. It's going to be worth it. Changes everything. Like the reality of heaven changes everything. It totally changed my sister's perspective on losing multiple children. That we've never met, I've never got to hold, but I have nieces and nephews, I will meet in heaven, and it changes it. But that doesn't mean I don't have an expectation that I'm going to see God's goodness on the journey. My mum calls it flowers on the way. It's like sometimes the road is a bit rough and steep, sometimes it's ticky, but just look out, God's got flowers on the way for you. It's good. His goodness is towards us, but we need to reconnect with that. And in spite of our stuff, our questions, our struggles, he remains constant and his heart is like he wants to help, he wants to guide, he wants to lead. Our flesh, our heart may fail, and they do, and it may well do it again, but God remains the strength of our heart. That's, that's the journey of faith, and that's what we get to respond to. And this, listen, that's the only way, we talked last week about our position before this sovereign God and our perspective on everything coming from that place. 
the best way to have your perspective reset is to come into the presence of God. Come into the sanctuary and lift your eyes up and look again. And I want us to take a moment to do that. If um, John and Andy could come um, and get get themselves ready. You know, I'm acutely aware. I I love this psalm because it's so raw and real and it's so like I was over here, but there's this 180 degrees transformation of where he ends up. Um, That just gives me real comfort and real encouragement. It's like, but I was here and yet things change. And we can land back in that position, which, like I say, sometimes is choice. And don't devalue that place of choice. Um, But here's the thing. God can keep us from slipping. It says that, Psalm 121, right? I lift my eyes up to the mountain where my help comes from. David's famous psalm. And in that psalm, he says, he is able to keep you from slipping, right? God is able to do that. And it says it again in Jude, Jude 24, I think it is, says, um, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and bring you into his presence without fault and with great joy. Right? He is able to keep us from slipping, but we need to lift our eyes up and look again. That's what Psalm 121 is all about, is I lift my eyes up and he is able to keep me from slipping. I'm not always able to keep myself from slipping. Like I, I trip up, but I'm absolutely convinced he is able. So what, what I want for us to think is what is it, for us to respond again with whatever measure of faith you feel like you have this morning is so valued, it's so precious. Don't despise what you feel like is a widow's offering. There's a smile and a well done over those points of, God, I choose. In the midst of confusion and struggling, to say, God, I choose, I trust you. It's beautiful. So I want us to, um, I want, us to I want you to stand, I'm going to pray.